It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to What's Real Podcast, episode 156. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my cohort, co-conspirator, co-contributor, co-host, and co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's up, the J? Oh, the J is nice and pumped up. Hey, Ed, it's the world of What's Real. It's the one Lawrence Taylor episode, 156. How can I not? Be pumped up. Hell yeah, man. It's pumped up this week. Hey, Ed, let's do it with our subject matter as Jake LaMotta himself, the Raging Bull. That's how pumped up I am. Let's do the one five siete. All right. The one Lawrence Taylor, if you will. So this show is, I guess, the uh, the epitome of ripping off Joe Theismann's leg, uh, which Lawrence Taylor so famously did. But we have a great show lined up for you guys. Of course, we're going to dabble into the world of professional wrestling once again. With the double dose of WWE on A&E Biography on Jerry Lawler and Paige. Yeah, kind of weird. Also, WWE Rivals on Lita versus Trish Stratus. And also, it is still the month of March Movie Madness. So we're going to do some movies that made us this week. It's both of our choice. From 1980, we're going to take a look at Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull. And also... Uh, it's going to be a little dangerous in here. The Ooh, Jay, I'm course. pumped this week. Uh, hey, I'm ready. I'm not at all. <laughs> yeah, I know but uh, Thursday night prime, we're going to head back to 1987 with some of the most hilarious fuckery we've had on the show up to this point. We're talking mutant hunt. And of course, we're going to be talking some goofs and much, much more. Uh, so let's get into it. The Jay, um, we're going to do something here that we do quite regularly on the show, but we haven't. Because the NFL season uh, has kind of winded down. But as far as the offseason goes, it's in full swing for the NFL. And that is, of course, the opening of free agency. And as you guys know, if you listen to the show on a regular basis, the, the one team that we generally cover are the Pittsburgh Steelers, the hometown heroes, if you will. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at the Steelers free agency picks and kind of do something that we do during the regular season which is the good, the bad, and the ugly as far as the signings go. So let's take a look at what we got here, the J first and foremost here. Uh, you know, ever since everything opened up, uh, we saw the Steelers re-sign some players. Uh, so I guess we could kind of start there. DeMonte Casey and, of course, Larry Ogunjobi. Uh, Casey is a safety, and the defensive tackle is Ogunjobi. Um, at least for me, um, KZ's not a bad choice, so you know I'm not going to really put that anywhere. I don't know if he fits into any three of these categories because we just don't know. He's more of a – I guess I'll put it in the, the good category because it's at least for depth, so I'm not going to complain there. And Larry Ogunjobi to me is in the good because you know he did pretty decent on the line. The contract was a little big, but the Steelers don't really have problems with contracts. They know how to maneuver everything to – you know kind of sorted out as far as the cap goes, but that's kind of how I feel about those two. What do you think of the Jay? I would agree with that. I mean, it's good. You know, not, not much risk in signing Casey uh, productive last season in limited work. So we'll take that uh, as, as they said on the ESPN reference article, the biggest thing with Casey is to monitor what the Steelers do with Edmonds. Uh, Cause he's yes. set to hit free agency after returning on a one-year deal in 2022. So, uh, you know, he's basically in line to return as the number three safety. So uh, that could, 
you know, be elevated to number two if the Steelers don't bring Edmonds back. So that's that's where that kind of comes from. And I completely agree with you with Okajobi. I think he did pretty good, and I was glad to hear about the the re signing. It was a bit high, but the Steelers do have some some cap space and some money uh, as we talk. So. Um, you know, I, I still think re-signing him was important, but yeah, three-year deal, twenty-eight point seven five million, uh, as we were mentioning, is pretty hefty. So, and I, I kind of look at him too as like the guy that's going to hold down the fort until they draft the guy that they want to start. So, like, yeah. if they don't do it this year, okay, that's fine. Maybe draft someone next year or spend a higher pick on them in year three, and then it's like then you're working him in. So like Ogan Joby won't be back after that unless he's you know like some kind of a world beater out of nowhere. But uh, pretty decent signing. Uh, one thing that I will lump in the bad, of course, and you know how this works. Uh, Cam Sutton, uh, the Steelers lost uh, to the Detroit Lions. Yeah, that hurt. I know they wanted to keep him, uh, dude. I just as a side note, dude. Uh, because we've talked about this off the air about how good Miami's done, like in free agency this year, man, Detroit is like getting better. Yeah, I think like Detroit's no, probably going to be a playoff team next year, in my opinion. So like we'll have to see how that shakes out. But like they've made some good moves, and and it's a bad. I'll put that in the bad for the Steelers, but definitely in the good for the Lions. You know what? Hey, good for Cam Sutton too. He's a good dude. You know, from what I see, yeah. and you know, with him playing in Pittsburgh, and he got a big payday because I, you know, he he made a a tweet that was saying basically with this signing, his his life has changed. Obviously, like eighteen yep. plus million, so that will do it. Absolutely, and of course, uh, I was kind of happy about this too. I'll put this in the good as well. Uh, whenever that came out that Cam Sutton was leaving, it felt like a few hours later it was announced that the Steelers had signed veteran cornerback Patrick Peterson. 32 years old. Of course, he's the former Minnesota Viking and Arizona Cardinal, uh, a player that was linked to the Steelers years ago in free agency. Obviously, he went to Arizona, I believe, at the time. Um, but, you know, a lot of people say he's like getting long in the tooth. He had one of his best, you know, seasons of his career last year in Minnesota. Five picks, um, yeah. I, and, and another note, too, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jay, he's the current active leader uh in interceptions like he has more interceptions than any other nfl player that's currently playing the game right now another big thing too with him uh with him at his age being a vet is that that brings in something good to the locker room you know we have a pretty young team right now the steelers cornerback room as we sit was reduced to levi wallace james pierre and witherspoon so yeah you know with the loss of sutton uh, that's another aspect i think that's kind of one of those intangibles that maybe people don't think about but i think that's important and, and is going to help in the locker room specifically especially with the cornerback core yeah and i think too that uh it's pretty much guaranteed that somewhere they're going to draft a corner this year i don't know if they they, first they should not be done whatever. adding to that position hand no absolutely and you need to add young people like free agency isn't the way to go with that because cornerbacks are expensive like the really good ones are generally expensive um i like patrick peterson i don't think he's done like i think that dude can get a couple of productive seasons uh you know at, at corner and just thinking out loud too you know let's assume that edmonds does come back right uh so you got edmonds and minka at the safety and you have levi wallace and patrick peterson as the one and two corners, like I'm not mad at that. That's not bad. Um, you know, it might not be great, but I mean, you know, especially if they can make some tweaks up front, you know, and and you know, people like T.J. Watt manage to stay healthy for the season, you know, guys are going to play better just because of that that alone. 
which leads me to this kind of speaking of defense, the Jay. But uh, real quick before we get into it, I'd put Peterson in the good. What do you think? Yeah, I would say good. Okay. So we're talking defense, of course, and you can't talk defense in the Pittsburgh Steelers without linebackers. They went out and got two of them recently, and two of them departed. Uh, Devin Bush uh, signed a one-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, that's good for the Steelers because I don't care to see that guy here anymore. And even if he can, you know, become a half decent player or anything, I don't think he ever would have became one in Pittsburgh. No, I, he drove us nuts. He had some comments too that just to me showed his attitude. You know, for yep. for us not being involved in the locker room, uh, just seeing that public image and his interview that he was saying how. It was like something like, oh, I'm going to be in the NFL next year either way. And that's where he's at. He's not with the Steelers. He's still in the NFL. But I say good riddance to Devin Bush. He he was probably our biggest bust in, in some time, actually. Or maybe ever. Like <laughs> or, or maybe very, ever. There you go. I mean, it's it's very possible. Yeah, we were he's so like, happy when we got him from Michigan. And, and he yeah. just hasn't done anything. And he was great until the knee injury. That's, yeah, that's what that's fucked him the NFL. up. And, uh, and of course, they also a move that we were both really excited about. I remember being with you out eating dinner the night that, that this guy got signed, and we were both pretty stoked about it. But it didn't have a great season, but I don't think he had a bad season either. It's just for the money he was making and everything. They also cut uh, Miles Jack. Miles Jack, jeez, brain for the the witching hours begun in the opening <laughs> yeah, segment. It happens for me, uh, but yeah, I mean. I, I don't mind the move. I, I was even thinking originally it's not the case now, and we'll get into why. I thought there was a chance he'd be brought back just at a lower price, but that's not going to happen now. Yeah, that's what I was kind of hoping, and that leaves, like you were saying, some holes at linebacker, and I'm sure that's what we'll be getting into with uh, one of the signings here. And, dude, I as I, you know, we both put Devin Bush in the good, um, I'm going to put this one in the bad. And the reason why I'm going to – it's not bad that he's not on the team anymore. It's just bad that it was a signing that should have meant more than what it was. So it was kind of like a waste, like a one-year. I agree. Like, okay, that didn't work. And, it's a, and let's be honest, it's another failed attempt at trying to fix the the Ryan Shazier situation. Yeah. Ever since he got a career-ending injury, uh, that position hasn't been the same for the Steelers. No, and that's been, been a major a problem. Bad ripple effect he had. And obviously Robert Spillane is gone. Uh, he went to the Raiders um, on a deal that, frankly, was more than the Steelers were willing to pay. I, I also put that in the bad because I think it would have been nice to kind of find a way to keep him at this point. I liked Spillane. Uh, at, at least in a backup role. And he played, a, you know, he started most of last season. So, you know, that's not really a player you want to lose. But I get it. What are you going to do? But what they did do is they went out and signed former uh, Washington commander Cole Holcomb and ex-Dolphin Elandon Roberts. Uh, two middle linebackers. Um, I don't know about your familiarity with these two guys, the Jay, but uh, we'll start with uh, Cole Holcomb. Uh, middle linebacker, played uh, a few seasons for the Washington Commanders. Uh, ended up hurt last year. He didn't play a whole lot, but the year before he had the best year of his career. Uh, my understanding is the guy is extremely fast and is also kind of like a tackling machine. Yeah. Really good at run stopping. Uh, not so much in on the passing downs. Um, but with the way the Steelers play defense a lot of times and the nickels and stuff like that with more in the secondary, you can kind of get away with that sort of thing. Um, I think this one is uh, – I'd put this one in the good. I think this is a good signing. Um, 
you know, I, hopefully the guy can stay healthy. But I think somebody like just from what I was reading about the guy and some of the stuff that I was watching on him, he just looks like a grinder. So I'm not saying he's going to be like all pro, but he could very well be like a an upgraded like Vince Williams type player. You know, if you remember him for the Steelers linebacker oh, yeah. a few years ago, it could be pretty resourceful signing, frankly. That was a great point, hey Ed, because neither Roberts nor Holcomb are known for their pass coverage, and and that yep. kind of coincides with that being a consistent weakness of the Steelers' inside linebackers. But both these guys possess, as you were saying, the coveted run stopping ability. So it's kind of like so many things in, in professional sports a balance there. Uh, but yeah, the pass defending reality could potentially place more pressure on the secondary, including uh, Minka. So, you know, and that comes in with Patrick Peterson coming in to, to maybe having to pick up some slack, too, because of that. So, yep. so yeah, it's a balance. It's like the good and bad. But, you know, the, the coveted run-stopping ability from these two uh, seems to be why they were signed. And also, as you mentioned, uh, Landon Roberts. Uh, this one I wasn't as thrilled with. Um, he's not as skilled of a linebacker as Holcomb is. He's not a bad player, though. Um, now, I did find out a couple things here about both of these guys that I thought was interesting. First up, Landon Roberts has also at times played fullback in the NFL. Um, and I doubt he's going to be doing anything like that, but this is just my thought out loud, right? Um, it doesn't look like Derek Watts going to be coming back. He's a free agent. They paid him a lot of money to play here for a few years. Uh, I don't think it really worked out. Um, he, he did most of his downs on special teams. Um, Elandon Roberts is a guy that is looked at most likely as depth potential for the Steelers. I don't know if he's going to be starting next season. It's possible that he does. Um, but as the Steelers do, they like guys with value. And by value, I mean they play multiple positions. And this dude could be, you know, like a fill-in fullback occasionally if when the Steelers need one, which is very little. Um, and... Maybe he can also fill that role of, that Derek Watt had on special teams. Um, so I think that's a good thing. And the other good thing that about both of these guys is they're both former captains of their team. And I understand they both spent time with the green dot under their helmet. So two more linebackers that understand play calling and defensive play calling. So there's a little diversity there. And the fact that they're both run stoppers and one of the guys could potentially play multiple positions, uh, including special teams. Kind of makes me think these are both good signings because it didn't cost them a lot to get them. And, you know, they're getting they're as long as they stay healthy, they're going to seemingly get value out of these guys. That that goes into it, too, because with cutting uh, Miles Jack, as we were discussing, the move creates eight million dollars in cap space, too. And yep. getting pretty good deals with these guys. And as ESPN mentions, uh, as you were kind of breaking down, hey, Ed, just reiterating uh, for a Landon Roberts, in addition to being an aggressive physical linebacker, he is also a special teamer, like you were saying, and they mentioned yep. it could help replace Marcus Allen, who is an unrestricted free agent as mm -hmm. well. So it's like a double replacement. That wouldn't be bad either. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to complain because I didn't like Marcus Allen, but he was a really good special teams player, which exactly. is why he was on the team. So, and of course, uh, a major, major topic of discussion with the Pittsburgh Steelers for I mean, I feel like the last couple of seasons for us here on the show, the Jay, has been the offensive line. A lot of people expect the Steelers to go for offensive line in the draft. That's yet to be seen. Me and the Jay both kind of think that would probably be a good idea. Yep. Um, but they've done some work on the offensive line already. So first up was they agreed to terms with guard Nate Herbig, formerly of the New York Jets. Uh, 
Dude's 24 years old. Um, his nickname is Nasty Nate. Um, I kind of see, I'll, I'll get into it more with with another thing, but like I kind of see a pattern here starting for the Steelers where they're looking to get like linemen that are like bad dudes. Like, it, like it's looking to get ugly out there with these guys, uh, which isn't a bad way to go about it. Like I'm not complaining. Uh, I read a lot of good stuff with this dude. Uh, a lot of people consider him what they, they call an ascending player. So it's like, according to analytics and scouts and game footage and everything else that like whatever people are seeing on this dude, they're like, he's getting better. Like you can tell he's getting better. So hopefully he can come here and get some work in. And of course, this means James Daniels, who they signed last year, who was one of the better free agent signings. And also, um, uh, damn it, I'm losing my mind. Kevin Dotson. Dotson. That's who it is. Uh, One of those two guys might be uh, out for a job. Uh, because of him and as well as another guy I'm going to mention in a second. But for me, the Jay, I'm going to put this one in the good too, because I don't, I think that like if the dude starts, that's great. But I also think he's 24. The The deal wasn't for a lot of money. So it gives you the ability to potentially go out and draft someone that, you know, can play that position too. Maybe this dude has to play like four or five games and a rookie comes in or something like that. But I think there's potential with this dude at his age and at the price tag they got him and hearing that he's an ascending player. Like, I'm not mad at that at all. Yeah, that's good breakdown, Hey Ed, because that coincides pretty in hand with my ESPN reference article with, as you mentioned, a, a low-budgeted signing with just $4 million guaranteed. It's a relatively low risk. Uh, yep. The Steelers can always use a versatile interior lineman, and it doesn't preclude them from adding more in free agency or the draft like you just broke down. So, so yeah, and, and I was reading a bunch of those intangibles you were talking about, you know, with him being a versatile interior lineman. So, yeah, I think this is a good one. And this is probably my favorite one. Uh, they also signed offensive lineman Isaac Scumalo, uh, or Seomalo, I'm sorry, uh, to a three-year deal, former Philadelphia Eagle. Um, this dude, he has a, he's seven years into his career, 60 career starts for the Eagles. Um, he is very versatile, uh, which I like. Um, he has also ties to Andy Weidel, uh, who is former GM of the Eagles, who's now assistant GM of the Steelers. My understanding is with the Steelers, like Omar Khan, who's another assistant GM is the money guy. He deals with the salary cap. And Andy Weidel is team builder guy. And obviously Tomlin has his input in all this too. Um, and Weidel's the guy that got Siamalo originally um, and for the Eagles. Um, he missed most of the 21 season with a Liss Frank injury. Uh, he was a third round pick in 2019. And my understanding is this dude is also a really solid player. Uh, if I was, if I remember reading something correctly, he didn't allow a sack last year, so that's another thing. Or maybe it was one sack. It was, I know it was some like insane stat. Uh, and dude, he's just a nasty fucking dude. And this is my line of thinking here for the Steelers already. This dude got a pretty decent deal, not a huge deal, but a good one. Um, th- if James Daniels is in trouble of not starting because of this dude then Daniels might get moved to the other guard position or moved in a trade. So another good signing to me, because again, even if it ends up just causing depth on the line, that's not a bad thing, especially if you have like guys with a lot of starts under their belt as backups and shit, then go for it. 
Yeah, I mean that's what the breakdown here says. As part of a group that finished second in ESPN's run block win rate, his addition bolsters the Steelers' run game that didn't get going until the second half of the season. So I think that's good. It just seems like, and we talk about this so much with talking NFL and the players and everything, and it just always goes back to it. But the biggest knock on him was you know his injuries and injury history. So. He's another one if he can stay healthy, and it's coming off a season that he did play all 16 games, including the Super Bowl. Uh, that's yep. all good signs. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and then on top of it, too, we talk about the NFL being a passing league, right? I get that. They got a young quarterback with Pickett, and obviously, you know, Najee's shown that he can be a really good running back whenever people are blocking for him. So, and, and you know, it's an old-school approach, and it's the right approach to take because it's very true, and you know this too, the Jay. When you're running the ball good, even by de facto, you're going to start passing the ball good because they're, they're eventually going to start shutting down the run, and that opens up the passing game. So, you know, that's the simplest way to create passing offense, and, and you know, as far as your quarterback and stuff like that goes, is just have a solid fucking run game that could kill a team, and then they're going to have no choice but to deal with it, and then it opens up everything else. And obviously, with Pickett growing, you have George Pickens, who's kind of poised to be the number one receiver. Deontay Johnson, who's also kind of poised to either be the player we've kind of been complaining about or break through and become really, really good. And then you have Calvin Austin, who didn't get to play last season because of injuries. Dude has a lot of potential there. Uh, you have Fryermuth. Like, there's a lot of weapons around Pickett. So he has yeah, he every even, even named Dodgish. Yeah, who and, you know, and talk about the second half of the year. That's where he had his coming out party for the most part. And who's also a pretty solid receiver, something that we complained about. Like, he's running good, but, like, why don't they ever throw the fucking ball to this guy anymore? He was drafted because he's also a really good receiver. Right. So, you know, why not? But, yeah, pretty solid moves, though, I, I think, for the Steelers early on. Um, you know, obviously, I think they're going to make some more. We're going to be talking about that as the weeks go by as far as the, the draft and everything, too. But, like... You know, early impressions, the Jay, this is very not typical of the Steelers within the, the Kevin Colbert years to go out a matter of a week or so and sign this many players. Normally quiet and free agency, the Pittsburgh Steelers, hey, Ed. So it's at least showing they're they're attempting to do something different, break a mold, and, and make things happen and strengthen the team. You hope so. Anyway, you know what I mean? So. Uh, but, yeah, man, we'll, we'll get into this as the weeks go by. But we are up against our very first commercial break. Whenever we come back, we're going to be talking some wrestling with the latest WWE on A&E bios on Paige and Jerry Lawler and the newest WWE rivals on Lita versus Trish Stratus. All that next, right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Herman James with the What's Real Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the What's Real Podcast and join the team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we could hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy and James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the Jay, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today.
And we're back, and it is time to get into some wrestling, if you will, this week, as we are going to talk about WWE's biography on A&E. First up, Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, Lawler's had a career that's been about 50 years, and uh, they I think they could have really done a good job with this, obviously, uh, but they went the short route with it, and uh, they did something in this one that pisses me off, the Jay. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but for years... The WWE spent fucking copious amounts of time ignoring the whole Jerry Lawler, Andy Kaufman thing because it didn't happen in the company. Uh, and that's how Vince was and whatever, you know, it was what it was. But now, man, now do they like revel in that shit like they played a hand in it, which is weird. Um, we all know the story at this point, which is fine, uh, but... They spent a lot of time on it in this, which I thought was kind of stupid because we, I mean, we've seen documentaries about this at this point. So, like, as we always talk about the J, it's kind of like a waste of time. Even though I like the stuff, it's like, all right, yeah, like, let's be honest, besides, yeah, we were saying, like, you know, years and years ago with shit like this, like, Hogan Andre was massive. The original WrestleMania one was massive. But, like, right there with that stuff was the whole Jerry Lawler. Andy Kaufman thing because it got him on you know the the late show with David Letterman, uh, one of the more famous moments in the show, the show's history. Um, so it was a major crossover moment for wrestling, that, you know. But it just kind of feels cheap whenever they go to it. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I see what you're saying, and and yeah, from our perspective, we've seen the whole situation played out in so many things for so many years, including. Not ridiculously long ago, probably like six months ish within the last six yeah. months, I would say with the the Vice series on the territories, and of course the the Memphis Memphis territory episode had the the entire thing broken down. We we just did that and covered it on the show, and and to go in with that though, hey, and it is interesting how they avoid avoided it for all these years with Vince McMahon and everything because it wasn't involved with him. And and now I'm sure you saw they announced that Andy Kaufman will be inducted into the WWE yeah. Hall of Fame this year too. Yeah, which, you know, he probably should be. Um, probably should have already been done, but, you know, they didn't want to do it because, again, he, he didn't do this in the company, but they've kind of loosened their stance on that through the years. Um, but, you know, it makes sense. I'm not arguing with it. I think it makes, you know, it's, it's something that should happen. Um, plus, it's kind of cool too. Like Andy Kaufman, of all people's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Like I think that's kind of cool compared to a lot of the celebrity types that they put in. Right. Um, and of course, on this episode, they had notable figures talking about Jerry Lawler, such as Kane, JBL, Ric Flair, and even Hulk Hogan. Um, and they do. You know, it's funny because like Flair and Hogan are kind of like company shills now. So like they'll just go on these and be like he was the greatest ever. But I mean, but Flair was the one, though, that made a great point, though, like that we always made about Lawler. Like he used to book guys to come into Memphis and he would go over on. Them. And I mean, he's beaten like for real, like Hogan, the Road Warriors, Flair, yeah. like he's beaten everybody in Memphis. So uh, and Flair used that point. But um, the, of course, they talk about the Bret Hart feud, which is cool. Um, it's kind of weird, though, that the feud itself is better than any of the matches that ever came from it. That's just my opinion on that. Bret Hart's probably my favorite wrestler of all time. Uh, so, like, I figured they would kind of spend time on that. I, I guess it's good that they talk about stuff earlier than that, but they don't really get deep in any of the Memphis stuff other than the Andy Kaufman thing, which is kind of a cop-out to me because 
there's plenty of other, you know, they could have mentioned the Macho Man feud. There's, a you know, a million things they could have mentioned. But again, it's also a condensed thing on Jerry Lawler's 50-year career, which again is a stupid idea. Squeeze into an hour with commercials. Exactly. So 45 minutes, you know, if we're lucky. Uh, they covered the heart attack that happened on Raw, which still to this day is one of like the worst things that ever happened on wrestling TV, in my opinion. Um, not anybody's fault, but it just happened. Well, it but might have been Ziggler's fault. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Yeah, with with the fucking elbows. Uh, yeah. He was really laying them in. Yeah, and I mean it is what it is. But like you know, overall, not a bad episode. It kind of went, came and went. But you know, you can't really cover Jerry Lawler's fifty year career on this. They do a good job at these. They look good. They sound good. Um, you know, and I like Lawler obviously, so I could watch shit like this whenever. But there's just a lot of stuff missing, and that's probably my biggest complaint about it. Which I had a feeling would be the case going into it. One other thing about it, too, that's a small thing, but I, I found it to be pretty interesting, was Jerry Lawler's other son, because he had a famous wrestling son, yes. um, yep. you know, Brian, that passed away, unfortunately. And his other son, Kevin, uh, appeared on here. And that's the first time I ever saw him. So, you know, that was just, just a neat thing, a little tidbit to, to add in there, because he talked about how hard it was as most of you know children of wrestlers can can attest especially back in the days that they were on the road just constantly how tough it was and you know he had a hard childhood um because of that and it led to his, his wife at the time Kay and and Jerry Lawler divorcing only like a few years after he started on the road so um that's always Dude, interesting to hear very interesting but as you know the Jay Kind of a difficult place to get into Jerry Lawler's relationships on here. Because right. as you know, there's some major things that happened in the 1990s that they did not cover at all. No. I did not expect them to cover them at all. The cat um, wasn't on here, put it that way. Hey, you. Yeah, and that's not even what I'm talking about. But yeah, that's, <laughs> no, I know. I'm just saying, like, but, even she yeah. wasn't, they stayed away it's, from it. Yeah, so there, there's some stuff there. We don't need to get it. You guys can look that up if you really want to know about it. But, um, but yeah, it, you know, again, fluff piece, uh, stuff that we already knew. It's literally what we always talk about when it comes to these, about, like, the ones we enjoy the least. Um, the best part about it, it was about an hour, you know, um, for me, because it's like I'd rather watch an hour thing like this than the whole rehashed bullshit of, like, a two-hour one that's everything I've ever known about them. Because they're not willing to touch the stuff on Lawler that I'm interested in. So, you know, it's it was fairly mediocre, and I expected it to be mediocre. That's pretty much the best way I could explain this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought it was cool. I mean, it's something I knew, but, you know, just trying to throw uh, some sort of positive into our breakdown here, Hey Ed, was when he was talking about, uh, of course, getting all the publicity from the, the feud with – Andy Kaufman and, and the whole thing that happened with Letterman and everything. And of course he's getting all kinds of attention from Vince McMahon and the WWF at the time, but he was rebuking the advances because he didn't want to give up his Memphis territories, you know, yep. sentimentally and financially because he's running it and making money. Like Lawler was like one of the last, you know, talking about the territory days, like doing his thing in Memphis, you know, remaining in operation. And he kind of made it worked out a deal and would, you know, keep it, 
financially feasible as a developmental territory for the WWF, which allowed Lawler to appear on WWF TV as well. So we remember the days because we always talk about our fondness and our rose colored nostalgia glasses of watching primetime wrestling. And he made his debut on on that show with, with like the round table with Perfect yep. and, and Bobby Heenan. So that brought back some memories there, just talking about that and how he actually eventually started working full time within the WWF. But th- this was a funny part. Uh, so Sam Roberts has been a talking head. And for those that don't know, Sam Roberts is a, a, a media guy and is a pro wrestling nerd. So they, they throw him on here. He, he has a, a deal working with the, the WWF and WWE in certain ways. But dude, talk about offering real revisionist history because we always talk about the revisionist history yeah. with WWF. He suggests that Jerry Lawler's voice painted the picture for what people saw on screen and that he was the voice of the attitude area. And as we know, Lawler's job of course was never painting the picture inserting nope. stupid humor when he could yep. around Jim Ross, who was painting the picture. So yep. that was 100%. fun. <laughs> yeah. Just to shout out the revisionist and do- history from gifts. And because they got to do shit like this, you miss out on really cool parts of the story. Like, for example, we were just talking about when Lawler started with the company, like you said, like when he was on, you know, uh, primetime wrestling and shit like that. Uh, The timing was weird how this all worked out, and they don't really retell the story the right way. So there wasn't like some major agreement. It wasn't like they let him stay in Memphis uh, because he had a stake in the company and it would be like, we'll make it a developmental. Then they let me like, that's not how that worked. Uh, how it actually worked is, is when Lawler first came to the WWE, he came on an announcer's contract. So because he wasn't in ring talent, they didn't care if he wrestled elsewhere. They weren't bringing him in to wrestle. So he wrestled for Memphis, but he was a, you know, commentator he, for WWF. Yeah, and he did the King's Court at the time, which was like the newest version that they were trying to do of, you know, like the Brother Love show and the Piper's Pit stuff. Um, and also something that people don't realize a lot is that Jerry Jarrett, who was the other promoter with Lawler with Memphis Wrestling, was actually brought in as a booker uh, and kind of a stand in for time periods in 93, 94. When Vince was dealing with steroids and couldn't be there. So Memphis, for whatever reason, was always like a comfortable backup for Vince. Uh, I think it's probably because in a way that um, his dad probably vouched for the Jarrett's. Like they run a really lucrative territory out of Memphis. You can trust them like that kind of shit. So Vince, those were the only people that Vince has ever turned the reins over to. And it was also, too, a lot of people don't realize this with all the bitching and complaining and who the fuck is he type thing. This is also when Meltzer was kind of working in conjunction with some of the creative stuff for WWF uh, back then. It wasn't a long time period. He wasn't like booking full shit, but he was a consultant for them at the time. So funny how people act like he never did shit in the business, but he's like an off the books consultant for the WWE when Vince was up for the steroid trial and Jerry Jarrett was booking a lot of the shit in the company. And if you watch those eras... And you watch Memphis, and you understand the booking, and th- like you see the Memphis style come, wholly come into the WWF, and it was the style of the company from like '93 to '95. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I, I thought this was funny, just bringing out some nuggets and, and some humor. Where And like you said, I mean, this is a full-blown WWF production on a, a major cable station. So this isn't you know going to be your gritty documentary. So they have Lita on here. And she's, of course, as we're saying, speaking very diplomatically, talking about Lawler's lack of a filter when going gaga over the women wrestlers of the time. And she, yep. she says, if you want to try to put a positive spin on it, at least Jerry was always excited when we came to the ring. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Of course, yeah. Yelling, yelling about puppies yeah. like a goof. But, but yeah, I mean, again, not a bad episode. It's kind of what I expected, though. Just mediocre, whatever hour thing, quick on Lawler. So, uh, but over to Paige, uh, which is kind of a confusing one, especially considering she doesn't work for the company anymore. Um, this one did have some interesting stuff in it. I'm not going to lie, but you know, overall, it just, I was just like, whatever, like they'd go over her drug problems, which was probably more than I thought they would do. They obviously don't get into certain, they talk about certain things without really talking about them. So, and of course I'm talking about the leaked fucking porn footage of Paige. Uh, they don't mention people by name, like Alberto Del Rio. Uh, they just say like, she got, you know, involved with the wrong people. I guess dispute. Yeah, I guess the most interesting thing for me on this one was like the Total Diva stuff because that's actually when I watched that shit and just talking about her perspective on it and stuff like that. But like, again, we've heard all this stuff with Paige. They were doing stuff like this about Paige when she was there. She's had a movie fucking made about her at this point. So it's like, it's kind of weird to watch a 45-minute episode of biography on somebody that already has so much stuff out there. And like you say, the Jay... There's absolutely no nostalgia at all for this because she was around like five, six years ago. Like it wasn't it's some major thing. Like she was good and then she got hurt and then that was it. And she's not never recovered from that. Did you did you ever see the documentary that the film was kind of based on the the wrestlers fighting with my oh, family? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I never caught that. Was that pretty good? It's okay. I mean, it shows you a lot of stuff from like Paige when she was young. Yeah, because like that's that's family. Of course, like that. that's one of the most interesting things for me with Paige is just her background, which is why they made that story about her. Because you know, for again, we must say just on the show, like for for those that might not know, she comes from a family in England who her parents, her mother and father, are both professional wrestlers, and every one of her siblings is a professional wrestler. So the entire yeah, and, family. And when she started doing this, it's like her brother was like kind of being a wrestler at the point, like he was. Like trying to make it to WWE. Yeah. And that's the thing. She and, didn't necessarily even want to do it. Her dad needed to fill a spot because they would run shows. So yep. she debuted in 2006 as Brittany Knight. And she never even like was in wrestling before and just kind of had the family's genes and was able to just kind of jump in there at 15 years old. They said, you know, she was starting to get booked like all across Europe and stuff. And then that's when she completely committed herself to wrestling. But I mean, that's an interesting story where kind of like fate gets her her first spot to even try it. And then she kind of fell in love with it. Yeah. And she was there on the early days of NXT, uh, which was a really good product. So like that would, you know, give her some credibility. And then she'd come to the main roster and immediately win the world's title or the women's title or the divas title. I forget which one it was. Uh, but you know, they were doing that. So like, she kind of had a quick ascension. And then, like I said, with the injury, she got hurt. And then she, you know, and a lot of the documentaries about after her wrestling career, because that's probably a longer time period now than her actual wrestling career was. So 
or at least in the WWE. So weird choice to do this to begin with. Um, I get why they did it, but this one didn't feel like it belonged in the series at all. Like it just doesn't like nothing against page. They've done this before. Um, a lot of it felt like some repackaged stuff just with newer interviews and things like that. Um, they did, did mention that her by her name and said that she's a former WWE superstar. They did the same thing with Sasha Banks and said former WWE superstar. So they've started doing that thing now. Um, but like overall, this one was just kind of like, okay, like whatever. Well, we, we were talking about it before we started recording where we found out that this one wasn't initially announced or part of the lineup this week, the Lawler or the Page one. So, and the fact that they're each an hour, something might have happened, you know, behind the scenes programming wise or something. So that's kind of fishy. Uh, so that right there tells me that these aren't going to be as good or up to speed as, as some of these other entries, you know? So uh, that, that would have something to do with it too. But, but like you're breaking down, Hey, I just, just the subject herself in this page. I mean, she, at this point is what in her thirties, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're doing a biography on her. It's that's, that's, what's kind of weird, even though again, she does have a really cool story, but, but when you take the fact that there's already a documentary about her family made a feature film made, as, as we've been discussing, uh, this one hour kind of thing is is exactly what we've been uh, hoping most of these aren't, and that's more of a fluff piece. So that's that's basically what it was. And as we know now, I'm sure all the contracts and deals were were signed and and finalized for this to to air. But she's been in in AEW at this point for some time too, which which just makes it weird watching it uh, this week, you know. But uh, other than that, all things considered, it was still entertaining enough in, in an hour show where I can fast forward the commercials. It wasn't like it was, as we say, like grinding teeth to get through or anything like that. But yeah, it wasn't anything that I might go back and revisit, as we say, too. And dude, it kind of reminds me of a bad pattern that we saw from last year. Started off good, and they just progressively yeah, they get did. like, yeah. they just fall off a cliff. So... Uh, it is what it is, but, you know, that's the kind of quick breakdown on this one because, frankly, there's not a whole lot to go over otherwise. So uh, now over to WWE Rivals with Lita versus Trish Stratus. Um, when I first heard this one was announced, I wasn't too thrilled with it either, um, mainly because this isn't that long ago. Um, but I, I got to admit, dude, this one kind of surprised me. Um, I actually really like this one. And... It's probably because I don't go back and, and revisit this stuff a whole lot with these two, but there's no doubt in my mind, like that in between period of like, or I should say not in between, it was before the Divas stuff, but like these were the first two women wrestlers since like they brought women's wrestling back to the company that were really able to do good stuff. Um, and it just so happened that like, you know, Lita was pretty good and like Trish really wasn't. But then, like, there was a time period where Trish got really good. so And that's kind of when all this stuff sort of coincided with the two. So it's also very noticeable, and you'll I know you'll agree with this too, the Jay. The women's wrestling in the company besides them was horrible. Like, absolutely horrible. So they were sticking out like a sore thumb because they were actually having good matches. And they were probably, and, and I agree with this, they're, they're the first women in the company to really get recognized for doing good work because they would, you know, put them out there on main events of raw and, and certain things like that women never got that spot before. That that's definitely the biggest thing about this documentary is the fact that as far as the WWE women go, 
they really are the trailblazers because like JBL says in this, if Lita and Trish don't work, if they fuck it up, then it sets back years for the women in the WWE, you know? Yeah. So th- they, they were able to be the ones that kind of take it to the next level to where it is today. And that was the best part of this story because it talks about the origins of, of Lita and Trish finding their ways to the WWE, which was cool. Cause you know, we always remember as, as we always say, huge ECW fans and Lita started yep. in ECW and then eventually gets caught up and, and starts working with S.A. Rios, which was hilarious to relive that that short stint. And, and Trish, of course, being a fitness model and not, you know, she was a big wrestling fan, but not interested in necessarily in actually going into the ring. But, you know, just like we were saying with with Shreya and, or Paige with fi- uh, Fate, it was kind of by fate. She ended up getting an opportunity with the WWE because of her fitness model accolades and, and her look. And what was really cool about Trish's personality, she was like, no, I want to do this. I want to show them I can wrestle. And without that attitude, that's not going to happen. And dude, what they don't show you in this story is the fact that when they first started feuding, Trish was kind of hitting her stride in the company. But prior to that, not only was Lita better than her, Lita was a way bigger star. Like, Lita was famous from being with the Hardy Boys and everything. Like, she had name recognition. She was a big deal. And that probably also helped Trish, too, because it got her on the map. And, and, you know, from that time period, like, until modern day, like, the modern day, like, women's revolution, Trish was probably the best female superstar they ever had. As far as, like, she's hot. She can go. She can cut interviews. Like, people liked her. She was sellable. She'd work as a heel or a baby face. Like, pretty much every. She was a good person, actually. Yeah, and dude, Trish is probably the one that created the mold for, like, how they wanted to build women's wrestlers in the women's revolution era. You know what I mean? Like, they want you to be able to go. They want you to be able to talk. They want you to be able to appeal to people. They want you to be able to be sellable and marketable and, you know, do commercials and other shit. And Trish was the first one of them to really accomplish all of that. Yeah, it was another interesting aspect of of this uh, documentary and, and specifically Lita's story coming up when, like you m- mentioned, hey, she was getting name recognition. She was paired with the Hardys. So as what happens in, in the WWF, WWE, you get other opportunities outside of the company. And she was working on a show that was actually a Jessica Alba show and produced by James oh, Cameron. Yeah. So they showed yep, footage of her Angel. work at Dark Angel. She was working with James Cameron. They showed like a brief interview with him talking about her, but then doing a stunt, the stunt person she was working with kind of messed up when she was doing like a Haruna Kanrana as part of a stunt and didn't fully turn. So Lita landed on her head and she ended up breaking her neck and parts of her back and it put her out for more than a year. And dude, remember how brutal that was? Like- yeah, with her being gone. Yeah, and there was like a chance that she was done. Yeah. And everything like we didn't know how that was going to turn out. Uh so yeah, I mean they both had rough ways too because like dude, let's be honest, before Trish kind of hit that stride, dude. Oh my god, like shitty manager, uh embarrassing shit with Vince, like cringy fucking gimmicks with Vince. Like and like yeah, she had a, he made her bark like a dog and all that. Yeah, like just awful shit that like she shouldn't have had to do. Um, but you know, her career up to that point was kind of a joke. 
Like she'd managed to stick around, but it wasn't really anything that was good or good for her or memorable or that was setting any stride as far as her being anything. It just in like a weird footnote in the company's history. But like once she hit the stride, again, she ended up becoming becoming that first wave of best woman superstar of all time. Um, but these two did have a good rivalry. These matches were good, even at a time where like nobody gave a shit about women's wrestling for the most part in the company. Um, they of course showed some of the more related stuff to like, you know, their friendship and things like that, which is cool. You know what I mean? Like that's obviously Something you always hear the negative shit about wrestling with that. So whenever there's something positive to talk about there, I like when they do that. Um, of course, Lita, too, would kind of hit many strides even after this. Where I always said that like her best time in the company is when she was managing Edge. She was a fucking massive heel. She was really good in that role. Like It was fucking extra sleazy and funny and shit like that. Like I remember we all kind of dug the Edge shit with him and Lita. And uh, that's when he was, like, feuding with Cena and shit like that. So it's amazing, like, the different varied careers both these ladies would have in before and after them having a pretty, like, I agree. Like, we talked about on the show occasionally how they pick stupid, like, topics for rivals. This is one that I didn't have a problem with. It was definitely it was a real rivalry. rivalry. Yeah. yeah, it really was. And, and the, like, the other aspect, too, hey, Ed, speaking of the the big heel character that Lita did with Edge was reliving this was like both of them were really good at doing either role. And there's a portion where they yeah. talk about that where like you can get more leverage and, and, and length longevity out of a feud by by simply changing characters and, and switching. And the you know like you like you said, we didn't really revisit Trish segments from like 0405. But the evil Trish from back then with those highlights she was, she was really good. You mentioned Lita as Evil Lita, really good. Trish is the baby face against Evil Lita, worked out. And, and of course, Lita, when she was first coming, going up against the Evil Trish that I referenced from 0405, was, was a huge fan favorite. So that was that was cool to see that, where they can just kind of flip-flop and, and still be really good and, and you know keep each other feuding freshly and, and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I think that all led to, to what was like, you know, not not the actual climax. There was some stuff after it with the more modern stuff leading to both of their retirements, and that was cool. But before that, I'd say the the biggest highlight was them building up to you know what truly revolutionized opening things up for female wrestlers in the WWE system, and that was them being the first women to ever main event Raw one on one like that. And you kind of go back and put yourself in, in where you were as a wrestling fan then. And I remember yeah. us respecting Lita and, and Trish, but kind of being like, let's see where this goes, like not being huge on it. But then the match did blow us away. And of course, there was that spot that they went over where Lita did the the leap to the floor and, and Trish did catch suicide. her right. Yeah. And her, her heel touches her head. Dude, that's literally one of the sickest fucking bumps. After she came back day. from neck surgery, and you know that. Yep. You're like, dude, how it was just one she just got lucky because they don't even really talk about that. They're like, Yeah, I don't know how she didn't die, but she she was fine. It's yeah, like, I don't like, know how. Dude, Jesus fucking and dude, you've been present when I did something similar to that years uh, ago. Yeah. And like and dude, it's it's brutal shit. Like, oh my god. But yeah, I'll never forget that. But yeah, they, I mean, they they essentially had a really good feud. They fought a bunch of times. They had really good chemistry in their matches. Um, they were always a good opponent for each other. It was also one that they were able to build up enough name recognition on that, like, you know, like whenever they had 
like uh, Trish do her retirement match and shit. They had her do it with her. Um, like, and they of course get go over the fact, and it's it's obviously funny how this works out. Like when Lita had her retirement match, she got Mickey James. Yep. So, you know, it, it's interesting how that stuff all shakes out. They would eventually come back many years later to to be on the first ever women's pay per view. Uh, Lita's going to be wrestling at WrestleMania this year in a tag team with Becky Lynch. Um, so you know, it, it's. No problems with this one. I thought this was way better than what I was expecting. I agree. Uh, and, it, and dude, it was kind of, of a breath of fresh air after kind of sitting through like a wasted Jerry Lawler biography and then that page one that I'm like, I could have taken or leave. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. And, and I got to say, as, as we, we've always briefly mentioned, the, the setup with WWE rivals on A&E, they have the the always lovable round table and Kevin Nash once again, he just cracks me off because he says like three things. And he probably gets paid like twenty five thousand. And dude, it's always like one of them things with him. Like when he chimes in, like they'll be talking about like a big feud or something. He's like, "Hey, what me and the boys used to always say is, if you're gonna ring the bull, you gotta pay the piper." Yeah, and he's just talking about like them getting a big payday. Yeah, it's and then it's and dude, it's funny because when JBL, he's like the exact opposite of Nash. Yeah. Like, he's like, Hogan and Andre was the greatest feud in the history of the company. And if it wasn't for them, none of us would be here today. And that's just, you know, you got to mention that. It's like, oh, shut the fuck up, Jay. Like, we, we really need you to chime in with that in this fucking thing. Yeah, talk like, about a company show. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, just the fucking people that will say anything on these shows sometimes. It's just <laughs> stupid. Yeah. And you know why they're doing it. But it's like, all right, bro, I get it. Yeah. But, but uh, but yeah, not a bad episode. Like I said, much better than the uh, the Lawler and Page biographies. And and frankly, I thought this was way better than the uh, Triple H Batista one the week before, which I didn't really care for either. Yeah, no, this this was good. It was entertaining. It it it, it was very important for women in WWE. Uh, it really was. These women were trailblazers. Uh, both have really cool stories. That, you know, they're it's one of those weird things. And we always say, dude, life is timing and. Their, their careers pretty much parallel, uh, paralleled each other. You know, they're very uh, similar trajectories in, in different ways. And that, that was cool about them too. Like in, in like Bailey and them talk about it. It's like, you know, you're the Trish per- person, like the fitness model, beautiful blonde, or you're like the, the kind of off the, the beaten path kind of chick that, that Lita was. You know, she, Lita wasn't necessarily like an emo chick, but she was just different. She was like a rock chick, you know? So uh, that that was cool too that they had those different personalities and then, and then for everything to build up and lead into where they show the the modern era with the women finally getting a, a rumble match and, and getting their own pay per view and everything and, and these women's trailblazed uh, everything that led to that and, and this is uh, that story in a in a pretty cool package so yeah I enjoyed it yeah definitely so and do, I forget offhand the Jay but hit us with what the next ones are coming up because they're kind of weird yeah it's weird because it's the bio is on Charlotte so uh, you know th- they used to call these like WWE legends and I don't know if they just call them biography that would make more sense because Charlotte is gonna be a legend but she's like in her prime so that's kind of weird yeah. and she's like I think 30 or something you know maybe 35 at the the latest. So that that's what's weird about some, yeah, some of these choices, just the younger people. Because I was saying to you, man, they have such a freaking long list of unique characters that I'm sure they can make, especially if they're going to do our ones with commercials. Uh, you know, all those WWF guys that, especially ones that haven't had documentaries they can maybe dip into. Uh, but I, I digress, hey, Ed. Uh, but yeah, next week is Charlotte for the biography. And then the rivals is uh, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. 
there you go. So expect those next week. Uh, and I'm probably not going to enjoy those. I mean, I'm sure the Charlotte one will be fine. Maybe they'll get into some shit. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, the Lesnar-Brock one I don't like at all. Um, you know, let's celebrate a rivalry of matches that nobody ever wanted to see at the time. So <laughs> that'll be a lot of revisionist history on that Oh, one, for, for sure. sure. They'll have so, Sam Roberts on the round table for that. Yeah, it's freaking out. Like, this is the greatest moment since Hogan and Andre. He looks like a yeah, modern okay. screech. Look, okay, Sam, yeah. Samuel, you fuck. But we are up against another commercial break. Whenever we come back, we're getting into the movies that made us 1980s Martin Scorsese classic, Raging Bull. So stay tuned for that and much more right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for episode 157 of the What's Real Podcast. A big pro wrestling segment is coming at you as WWE on A&E continues with the biography on Charlotte and WWE rivals Roman versus Brock. And it's also a huge preview of this year's WrestleMania. And it is the last week of March Movie Madness as we're going to have specials of Movies That Made Us and Thursday Night Prime. Ha! This is Timothy James with the What's Real Podcast, here representing Goose or Goose for the What's Real Show. This one's for the 157th episode, where the guys get into talking about things like rectum hotels, Brad Maddox being a sex addict, invisibility cloaks, human-sized bats, the HBO intro, stolen cameras by idiots, gator baptisms, and Jimmy G having the deal of a lifetime thrown at his ass. All that and much more next week on episode 157 of the What's Real Podcast. Welcome back, and it is time once again for the movies that made us, as Jay likes to say, our original, unoriginal uh, topic here, where we go through and talk about some of the most important movies to us specifically, this week is is a first, I believe, the J here on the show where we we're going with a mutual pick. Uh, this is from 1980 from director Martin Scorsese. Of course, I'm talking Raging Bull. When Jake LaMotta steps into a boxing ring and obliterates his opponents, he's a prize fighter. But when he treats his family and friends the same way, he's a ticking time bomb, ready to go off at any moment. Though LaMotta wants his family's love, something always seems to come between them. Perhaps it's his violent bouts of paranoia and jealousy, the kind of rage that helped make him a champ, but in real life, he winds up in the ring alone. Uh, movies probably most well-known besides Scorsese directing as Robert De Niro playing Jake LaMotta. He would win an Oscar for this. Uh, Joe Pesci, it, this is his breakout role. Uh, Kathy Moriarty's in this, Frank Vincent, uh, Mario Gallo, uh, pretty decent cast. Uh, also completely shot in black and white. Um, interesting point too to, to think about the Jay is uh, this and Elephant Man came out in the same year, two black and white movies, well after the black and white era. Uh, Raging Bulls like an amazing movie for a lot of different reasons. Like obviously it's made well, uh, one best picture. Um, but dude, it's you know, it's an interesting true life story where. It shows how, just how flawed the the main character is, and that that's pretty rare for the time, at least. And it's really the strength of the movie. 
Um, it's it's a really really interesting story, but it's a really ugly story too. Um, and it's it to me it's interesting too to the fact that it's Martin Scorsese to me's most standalone film. It doesn't look like his other films. It doesn't sound like his other. Like it's really something interesting that he tried to do, and it's quite an achievement for a million different reasons. He he would go on to talk about that. Hey, because he wasn't interested in sports, so De Niro really wanted to do this movie because it's based off of Lamada's book, Raging Bull, and uh, De Niro really really wanted to do this, and he wanted Scorsese to direct. So he was trying to talk him into it for a long time, and yep. So, you know, that that I think is, to your point, why this kind of stood out from a lot of his other work. And, dude, it's pretty incredible, too. Uh, with, with De Niro up to this point, um, he, he'd been in The Godfather. Um, he did a lead role in Taxi Driver. And this is another one of them characters. That's, it's a completely different type of character, but not really. Like the characters that he was playing at this point were like incredibly flawed, unhinged. Just, you know the unhinged. Like you said, uh, ticking time bombs. Yeah, and dude, his portrayal of Lamada in this is pretty fucking like it's scary ridiculous. at times. And Lamada's yeah, Lamotta, I mean, in it too. The first scene, yes, the first boxing scene. And, and dude, he's a guy that like I really wondered what he thought about his life. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Was he proud of this shit? Was he embarrassed by it? Like, you know, somebody like him took like a stupid amount of punishment. You know what I mean? Like, God knows what was wrong with this guy for real. Um, and it's, you know, like the movie doesn't hold back on anything. Like, it's a it's a really weird portrayal to a black and white movie because like it doesn't feel like an older. So like they talk in ways that they wouldn't have in black and white movies. Shit like that. Um, and dude, and the one thing that I'll say about this, Rocky's the greatest boxing movie of all time, in my opinion. But this is the best boxing's ever looked in a movie. Good call. Um, no matter what. I don't and and dude, I think the fights and shit, the way that they're done in Rocky are like masterful. Um, we've seen other movies come along since then about boxing that were like really well put together movies. Like I'm not shitting on any of them. Um, but just the dude, the the music and the fucking way the fights are shot, and it's the the you know it's the poster too, like that look in the Lamada's fucking eyes kind of thing. Uh, they get that perfectly in the movie too. It also for and for a guy like you were saying, like guy not into sports, like Scorsese really understood the drama of boxing. And what old boxing kind of was, and like, there's so much attention to detail in this too. That's just that's what I was going to say. The atmosphere he creates with like the smoky arenas, you know, that could yep. correlates to our always reference pro wrestling. But that was such Dude, such cool shots. Those shots remind me of like the old black and white photos you'd see from Madison Square Garden. Exactly, and I, I'm, that, was, like, that was probably what he was going for. And it's dude, it's spot the fuck on. It like it really is, and it's interesting too as they show like this flawed like it's a guy that like clearly was designed to live his life in the ring, right? But boy, was that terrible for his outside life. He was super paranoid about women. 
Uh, he was an asshole to women. He was an asshole to everybody, frankly, at one point. Like, he just became kind of like a, t- a detestable person. Um, but, dude, he's somebody that also, and this is why it's interesting, too, he's a guy that paid for all of his mistakes. Like, his, he's like a lone, like a shitty life because it's, you know, you fucking burn enough bridges and that's what happens. And he's, like, living proof of that. And the movie has all those ebbs and flows in it. That's why it's such a cool story. Because it's not just about boxing. It's not just about this boxer's life. It's about all this stuff. And then again, on top of it, it's pretty much a true story. Yeah, I mean, you have the the book that it's based on. You have Jake LaMotta being involved in the production. That like th- this is another one. Like like we say that that's you need these components to make a classic. And it's one of those things where the stars align and everything comes together. You got Robert De Niro, you got Jake LaMotta, you got the book, you got Scorsese on board and and look what happens. You know, I mean, and we didn't even mention Joe Pesci yet. <laughs> so yeah, who is great. It, and of course, it, Kathy Mariar- Mariotti, you got to mention her. Dude, Pe- this is Pesci's most interesting role, I think, um, because he's not like the fucking you know the gangster and shit like that like it's not it's a different kind he's kind of like a one of he's like involved with the mafia guys because you know shout out to in the you know scorsese's movie catalog with frank vincent's character who yep. you know of course you know the famous character from from goodfellas but this character's name is Sil- silva bats yeah yep so i so think that's cool it's like the shout out to to his or i'm sorry salvi salvi bats but but yeah, he, he kind of tries to to bring the the mob influence into you know towards the beginning of the film to kind of get Jake a middleweight title shot and stuff. But uh, Jake Lamotta refuses the mafia's help, and he hates the fact that Joey is hanging with these guys and becoming friends with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting character study, and like, dude, when you do a character study, like Pesci's like really good like set decoration for that type of shit. Like he flourishes in movies like that as like a side character. Um, and dude, th- it's also really weird too. Something I wanted to mention here. I don't even know if you're, if you knew this or not, Scorsese himself had suffered uh, almost a, a, a deadly cocaine overdose. I do remember right that. before this movie was made. And uh, yeah, and the, bi- the biography of Jake LaMotta was shown to him by De Niro during a hospital visit, which is how they, eventually agreed to do it and it said like it was almost potentially scorsese's last movie um so like he was trying to make something that was like personal even though it wasn't about him which again a really interesting way to make a movie you know what i mean like you're making a true story like there's only so much fluctuation you could do about the story but that's what's really cool about this is it's kind of like to me, like what Stanley Kubrick did to The Shining, like as the Stephen King book, like he took the information and somehow like was able to like spit it out from his point of view or his world. Yeah, he made it his and own. Scors- yeah, and Scorsese's making this movie about Jake LaMotta, but he's putting a lot of the shit that he's going through and dealing with in the movie because LaMotta is such a sadly mess of a human being that it's a, it ended up being kind of a muse for him to use himself through the process. That's... You know, that's the shit to me that, like, a lot of times that people don't talk about the Jay, but, like, that's the stuff that makes, like, the absolute great directors, like, people that can pull shit. Like, like every one of the major ones has some sort of a story or theme or something that they were able to put into a movie 
that's just more than typical filmmaking Man, shit. It's personal. Yeah, and it really, like, you can tell, like, when you watch the movies, like, you can tell that that kind of stuff sits above and beyond just normal movies or, you know, they're the movies that people still talk, like, we're talking a movie, you know, from fucking 43 years ago. Yeah, I, today, I was it, uh, one, you might not have been born. Yeah, and it's timeless. It's a timeless movie. The black and white thing adds to it. Like, you can watch this movie whenever. Speaking of that, hey, the, Ed, just shout, oh. shout out uh, cinematographer Michael Chapman. Because mm-hmm. he did amazing in this, and and f- for that matter, the editing, which was uh, Thelma Schoonmaker, because the two Academy Awards that Raging Bull won, it was nominated for eight. It ended up winning Best Actor for De Niro with his second, uh, besides The Godfather two, and then Best Editing for uh, Thelma Schoonmaker. But I mean, just, and I fucked up for saying it won Best Picture earlier because yeah, was, it was nominated. Uh, it, uh, what the fuck is it? Uh, on Golden Pond? I'm pretty sure is the one that won it in 1980. Anyway, yeah, because like you said, uh, the Elephant Man was tied um, with the nominations. They both had eight, and neither one best yeah. picture, which is crazy. And dude, I've seen some really interesting shit about this movie too. Uh, like I've heard people kind of apply that, like this movie showing like Lamada getting pummeled as kind of like because he was Catholic. For like an atonement yeah. of like the shit that he was doing in his real life. So like he'd get in the ring and just basically let people fucking pummel him. Um, he didn't like himself. I think that's kind of evident in this movie. Like I don't know how he felt about himself like as he got older looking back on his life. But like it's pretty clear with everything that I've read and you know obviously watching this movie and shit. That like he's a guy that just did not like himself. And kind of lived his life as someone who didn't like himself. Like he didn't think he fucking deserved anything because he didn't like himself yeah and, and that goes into how he treated people of course because if if you don't like yourself how are you going to treat other people and it's it's one of those things in life you know if you want to be able to help people you know you have to be in a right place your, your damn self for the most part so uh that's a really good point and i think that comes through you know especially with de niro's um performance in this you know just unbelievable that he plays the older fat uh, you know, D'Amato when he's yep. fucking doing stand up <laughs> and running the club, and, and mm-hmm. then and then he's of course in, in ridiculous shape uh, for the boxing scenes. But you know, I remember reading; I think he gained around sixty pounds to play yeah. to play him in the later years. And dude, watching the portrayal of Jake Lamotta by De Niro, it dude, it's one of the most frustrating characters I've ever seen in my life. And I don't mean that that's a bad like. It's just the character himself is just such an asshole. Like, as the viewer, you're just like, this fucking dude, yeah, it's man. Like, like, yeah, he's basically oh. he's basically a villain. Get base, I mean, he yeah, beats the shit it's, out of his wife. Yep. It's, I mean, dude, it's he's just a loathsome human being. And it's a weird, like, because he, he I mean, he was considered a hero by so many people, obviously, because he was a great boxer. From, so, yeah, like, from the Bronx. Yeah, just seeing like the dichotomy in that shit in the movie is pretty impressive that, you know, you can really push something like that. But, you know, I mean, this is, and it, dude, and this is a very important movie. You know what I'm saying? Just due to the fact that it's the movie that set up Pesci. Um, De Niro at this point was like, he was in the stride of his greatest era. You know what I mean? Like, I know that he kind of started out hot, but like, this was the era where, you know, with shit like Taxi Driver, Deer Hunter, the Godfathers, this, 
Like it's it's bonkers what his output was at a certain time period. And, you know, this is a big reason why. You know what I mean? It's like just every few years at this point, it would be like, you know, De Niro would kind of fucking remind everybody that he's like top of the food chain as far as actors went. Yeah, great, great point. Because that goes in. I was going to mention one of my favorite scenes, of course, because they, they just build it up so good. And, and the paranoia is just overtaking them. And Kathy Moriarty, his wife, she she can't take it anymore. And she's just like, yeah, I fucked your brother. He has a bigger dick than you. I sucked every cock in this neighborhood. What do you want me to say? And that's all he needed to hear. You know, you as the audience, you know, she's being completely sarcastic. She's frustrated. She doesn't know what uh, anything else to say to him. He takes it yep. as there's my proof. She said she fucked my brother. So he walks over to, to his brother's house while he's eating dinner with his family and just starts pummeling him. And it is yep. just such a crazy, intense scene. That's where he turns around and he finally, because at this point he had just kind of pushed, pulled and slapped Kathy Moriarty's character. And at this point with everything going on and after beating the shit out of Joey, he turns around and punches her in the face as she's trying to intervene. So yeah, I, I mean, it's just such an intense, amazing scene. It's just shot so well. The buildup, you know, makes it, and it's yeah. I just had to point that out. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, and it's do a lot of people too. I've seen that, and I think this is pretty interesting too. But I've read shit where they've talked about, um, you know, Sharon Stone in the movie Casino, and she kind of based her character off the Moriarty character from this, like just like a doormat, doormat fucking woman. Who, like, literally needs to be fucking completely terrorized before she even remotely stands up for herself. And when she does stand up for herself, everything goes off the fucking deep end. Um, it's, dude, it's really weird. And, I mean, it's a great thing, but it's really weird to see a movie like this where, like, the secondary characters have a lot of multi-layering on it when it's clearly the Jake LaMotta story. Um, but that's also what makes it such a good movie. Like, there's really nothing... You know, like great dialogue. It's written well. The characters are great. They're fleshed out. The acting performances are great. The cinematography is great. Like this is like a film school movie. Like everybody should watch. If you want to make movies, you should at least watch Raging Bull once, whether you like sports or not, because there's it. It has a lot of lessons in dramatic sequences and shit like that, too, which is like. There's just a lot of impressive stuff stuff about this movie. People have written books about it. Yeah, great point, man. I would definitely agree with that. And, you know, I, I love the whole climax, too, to wrap things up, you know, especially as far as the plot goes, where he ends up moving to, to Miami after retiring and buys a new nightclub. And that's where Vicky, his wife, uh, tells him she wants a divorce, which she had been planning since his retirement, and, and to take their kids too. And, and says like, you know, she'll call the police if he comes anywhere near them. And then he kind of spirals from there. He ends up introducing underage girls to men in his club, which gets him in trouble. And you know, uh, so it's basically unknowingly they they tell him you know his, their ages are eighteen plus, but you can kind of tell the girl I think is like fourteen, super young looking, and he ends up going to jail. And, and those scenes are. are great too he's just questioning himself and crying in despair in, in the jail and everything and, and then they get yeah, the literal fall of lamada at that point. yeah and he obviously hadn't seen his brother in years since uh the scene we were talking about where he beats the shit out of him and terrorizes the family so they show the scene where he encounters joey um and he does forgive him but he's elusive but that that's a great scene too where joey's just ignoring him trying to get in the car he's like come on man just give me a kiss just give me a kiss yeah it's good, man. There's a, there's just again the multi-layered performances and everything in this one make it a winner. 
Uh, if you guys haven't seen Raging Bull, I highly recommend you check this out. I, you know, probably the most recommended series that we would have on here would be the movies that made us. I oh, would assume. Yeah, that's why we do it. No, for sure. And uh, you know, that all goes into talking about classics that could have been a contender. You know, as Jake recited yeah. the scene from from on the waterfront and everything. Uh, but th this was uh, something I was going to mention to you, Hey Ed, because I kind of looked into it. I wasn't completely sure because I was like, I know Jake Lamotta can't still be alive, but how how long ago did he pass away? Because I, I, for, for some reason, I was remembering it was somewhat recently. Dude, he passed away in 2017. He was born yep. in 1922. That motherfucker yep. almost was a hundred years old, dude. Yep. <laughs> Holy shit! Like what a life to be almost a hundred after being a boxer that you didn't even care if he lived or died when you're in your twenties. Yeah, and on top of it, it's like that. Is that karma? Because that's a guy. Yeah, that right. He, he didn't even, that yeah, yeah, could be. But yeah, I God. thought that was pretty crazy that he died in his late nineties. There. Yeah, absolutely. So we're about to go to our next commercial break, and whenever we come back, we're gonna have to fight these weird mutant people outside. Yeah, they're I was really getting ready. Slow. I'm the, dude. Look at look at yeah, them, dude. They're slow. They're, yeah, they're like slow. That's fucking hilarious. I just called the submarine a slub, dude. Is this dude covered in Vaseline or something? Uh, that's that's why I don't want to fuck with them. They, they look good. All right. Okay. okay all right, so I'm going to go get a bazooka, I, man. Well, I'm going to go get a sandwich because I'm not worried about these fucking weirdos. Right, I'll take care so. of them. I'm going to blow some shit up. Okay. All right, guys. Well, we'll be back right of course with some Thursday Night Prime from 1987 Mutant Hunt right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, Yins, guys. That's right. It's your boy, the J, once again. As the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the dub R question mark, the What's Real podcast. And I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures. And the J can admit, for those consistently listening week to week, we have ads for Churchill Pictures. You may be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube. Subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube Deference, Tubi The Unsung, Churchill Pictures. We create worlds. It's time for Thursday Night Prime. And we're back, and it's time for some Thursday Night Prime. Thanks for taking them out, Jay. That fucking sandwich was delicious. Woo! Yeah, that was fun. Man. Uh, I needed some. Uh, I didn't hit the gym today. My usual pump and swellness, so I had to get some sort of frustrations out. So that was good, Hey, I appreciate that. 
Yeah, and I needed to get something to eat. So it's nice for one week to not get hit by poison darts or fucking shrapnel. Yeah, you know? Chinese stars. I was kind of... Like, I don't like the show on the show. I was kind of sweating it this week because it's, you know, it's been a rough week so far. Like, I'm fucking tired. I don't really do, feel like dealing with mercenaries. Fucking, I, dude, uh, when I went to make the sandwich, fucking Nuck Chorus, our weapons expert, was sleeping on a cot in the basement. Yeah, now he's down I'm there like, yelling. He's pissed because uh, yeah. those, well, those gooey things were a mess. I blew four of them up, so there's shit everywhere. I don't even know what that stuff is. Yeah, the mops over there. Yeah, he has a yep. team of Mexicans, uh, Mexican crew in hazmat suits. Wait, he said they're from the Philippines. Uh, okay. Anyway, yeah, we're paying you. Uh, yeah, geez. we love you guys. But anyway, we love all peeps. We're going back to 1987 with Tim Kincaid's Mutant Hunt in New York City, sometime in the near future. Z, the evil chairman of the Intel Intel Tracks Corporation. Uh has taken a small army of cyborgs designed to perform hazardous tasks and altered them to kill humans for pleasure. The inventor of the cyborgs, Dr. Paul Haynes, is held captive, and his sister Darla seeks the aid of Matt Riker, an expert high-tech weaponry and martial arts expert who is clearly named by his parents, a.k.a. me when I was eight, writing a story, because Matt Riker is like a generic-ass fucking name, which is kind of funny. Oh, throw that with Uh, Z. For Christ's sake. Yeah. This movie has probably nobody that you're going to know of. I know Mary Mary Fahey is in it because she's also in Riot on 42nd Street, which we covered on Thursday Night Prime like seasons ago. Um, but dude, Mutant Hunt's pretty fucking hilarious for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, first and foremost, um, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of batshit, crazy, stupid shit in here. Like, as we say... The fucking fight scenes in this are some of the weirdest, worst fights I've ever seen. And it has one of the funniest scenes in movie history to me where the fucking mutants attack a dude when he's in bed with a woman. Dude's fighting around in some tidy whities in a room that is literally has weapons all over the walls. <laughs> yeah. Yet the dude still breaks a lamp to jab a fucking mutant in the eye with the lit lamp. Because we clearly needed to have like an electrocution kind of gross thing going on, which really wasn't that gross. Um, but my God, this like nobody in this movie's good at martial arts. Every fight scene looks like it was choreographed by a child. Um, <laughs> the the dialogue in this is uh, fucking brutal, it, dude. Brutal. It's so. Oh my God, is it fucking bad? Like, geez, like what? Here's a quote. Who'd want to get robots high? Like that, somebody wrote that. Um, But dude, one thing though, that I will give this movie credit for, and it's way above the movie's pay grade. I don't understand it at all, but whatever. The fucking music in this is really good. (laughs) There's a bunch of really good soundtracks. Well, this is through uh, Wizard Video. Who distributed it. But this is pretty much like, like, dude, this is the age of, like, putting out shit because nothing was in the rental store. Yeah, that's why I feel like, you know, obviously the influencers are quite obviously Terminator, maybe a little bit of Blade Runner in there. Th- throw in the fact that they act like they invented cyborg. They're like, the humanoid dude, androids are called cyborgs. Like, yeah, that's been around it, way past 85 or 87. And, dude, of course, this is... Fucking Charlie Band having something to do with this, of course, too, because he was oh, he just put out 
through uh, full like empire ish, I believe, but wizard video is his company. So they put it out through wizard video instead. Oh, gotcha. But dude, I found a fucking review on Letterboxd that is, dude, this is like chef's kiss shit right here. But this is from Electric Wizard. Shit guitar solo, shit fights, robotic bullshit dribble, shit guitar solo, shit fights, in-universe faux scientific bullshit dribble. Uh, rinse and repeat and chuck in sprinkles of stretch Armstrong limb logic, cyborgs, weapons, cyborg weapons, a shit sex scene, lasers, Y-fronts and goo, euphorian highs and narrative lows, and of course, Charlie Band's genius that he is knows no one actually wants to watch Mutant Hunt, so he remastered it using fog and Vaseline. Top tier, mid tier, somehow too long, bullocks for the mindless and the droolers. Of course, that means three stock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I, had, I had a line from here, you know, one of my quotes, and I'm like, I have to write this down for Hey Ed. And Matt Riker's like, Intel Tracks has a government contract. It can hold anyone for 72 hours since the Federation act of, and Darla Haynes butts in, of two years ago, ever since the space shuttle sex murders. The, yeah, the, the space, space shuttle I, sex murders. I, I want to see a movie about that. We got to watch space shuttle sex notes, murders. In my notes, I have ever since the space shuttle there sex you go. murders. Okay. <laughs> Great like, minds. I like stop. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I is, did they just say what I think they just said there? Like I had to like rewind. Like I rewound it, and I'm like, oh yeah, the ever like, since like wouldn't they be the rape murders? It's like no, they were murdering people as they were having sex. So they were sex Con, cons, consensual sex. <laughs> like yeah. like a a dude found an the orgy sex was on consensual, but not the murder. <laughs> <laughs> and neither was the space shuttle. They were <laughs> yeah. all pissed to be there in the first place. Uh, like, it's like, dude. The, okay, so you know, like when you watch a movie and like the plot lines make no sense, and you're like, dude, they're not even trying. This is the op- this is like trying, trying too trying hard, way too yeah. hard to write about shit that no one cares about. Yeah. Like, dude, the oh, like everything about this movie is fucking stupid, which is weird because Tim Kincaid directed this. And he made Riot on 42nd Street, which is fucking awesome. Like, an awesome fucking flick. He also made Robot Holocaust and Breeders, which are, like, really good low-budget bullshit. And, of course, because, you know, you know how this goes. He also made El Paso Wrecking Corp from 1977. Of course. A porno. Yeah. <laughs> and he also made Kansas City Trucking Company because, you know... And and I don't know if you sense a theme here. These are gay porns. So he's all over the board. And yeah, and it's weird because like there's a lot of scenes in fucking mutant hunt that are like there's nothing sexual going on, but it looks like a porno. So it's pretty fucking funny. And when you name a character Z, like you're 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 fucking up bad. Like you're really like and dude, the fucking Oh, I forget the dude's name in the movie. The fucking, like the mohawk rocker dude. Yeah, Johnny Felix. Like the, the, the worst fucking person that's maybe ever existed on the face of the earth. Horrible. So, yeah, Ron Rinaldi. Yeah. Spelled weirdly, but yeah, he looks like a Johnny Phoenix. Yeah, Felix. AKA, which is even worse. Er, yeah, AKA a total asshole, <laughs> yeah. basically. 
I'm going to take a page out of your book, Hey Ed. Uh, this is okay. a letterbox. This is uh, IMDb user reviews from Hey underscore Sweden. Uh, so I'll just run through it. Breaks it down pretty good. The special effects and makeup are surprisingly not that bad, all things considered. Ed French created a puppet cyborg head that is pretty cool and which gives the best performance in the movie. <laughs> everything, yeah, else, everything else is varying degrees of doll. Thankfully, the attractive female cast makes things worth enduring, especially Miss Renan, who has an alternate job as an exotic dancer. The insistent pop music score helps to move things along adequately, as you said, Ed. No matter if the bulk of this production is inept from beginning to end, the fight scenes are somewhat less than exciting and not exactly directed with much zeal. Kincaid's script is talky and inane. Of course, who watch, Who chooses to watch something titled Mutant Hunt and expects anything different? And we say that all the time, but good breakdown there from A. Sweden. And dude, I have to expand on the, the dialogue that I said from earlier because I, I found the exact answer. Who'd want to get robots high? I don't know. Yeah, like that's good, what, that, that's what we're dealing with good here. Dialogue, so, Jesus, like, what are we doing here? It's dude. I, somebody also is like a charmless soldier of fortune gets caught in a clash between two exquisitely campy crime lords <laughs> slash inventors <laughs> looking to pump an army of barrel chested androids <laughs> full of street drugs and profit. I think. It's hard to make up the plot all over the wailing electric guitar and oddly blocked fight scenes. This is goofy and wooden, and I think at least partially self-aware, but there's like a lot to like about it. There's some fairly novel concepts at play here, notably the multiple rivalries between different generations of androids (laughs) and the poignantly gory stuff about the dying android who only wants to end his newly discovered pain. <laughs> like, That's a great breakdown. Yeah, like this, it's weird too, because this is definitely one of these movies, it's like a total piece of shit. But because it's such a piece of shit, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. And like, it, like and dude, this movie, this, okay, this is really a Charlie Band fucking special. It's 76 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, this shit's barely a movie. Dude, That's why I like that. There's like long scenes of like meandering fucking <laughs> mutant cyborgs just walking. We gotta hit an hour and thirteen. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I gotta. I'm gonna steal that for like small talk at a bar from some goof I don't care about, like that I don't know. And it's like, what, so what do you do, Jared? I'm a landlord and an inventor. Yeah, I'm a <laughs> landlord slash inventor. <laughs> Which is also weird because that would be like a dad's uh, 1990s sitcom dad's job. Yeah, he's like, like yeah, we own some, we own, yeah, he owns some properties and invents weird shit. Like he does real estate and he invents toasters and like the shit blows up. Yeah, he's like it's the dad from funny. Gremlins. It's like, oh, dad, don't you have work today? Like, not until my super toaster's done, Billy. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ! Again, in the 80s, okay. Not people, right? But cocaine made films. Yeah, Music. actual cocaine. Yeah, pitched games for Major League Baseball teams. What was the Pirates fucking the Pittsburgh Pirates mascot? Cocaine was for two years in the nineteen eighties. Um, so yeah, and this is another example of that. But uh, as we do here on the show, the J hit us with a tagline for Mutant Hunt. So the tagline for Mutant Hunt: New York, the twenty first century. It's open season on cyborgs. 
Yeah, which disappoints me because I really wish we could go to fucking New York right now and it'd be open season on cyborgs. Yeah, like um, I said, I I had fun blowing up some creepy ass things just now, so I recommend it. Yeah, and, and there's fucking Vaseline everywhere for some reason. It smells. So it smells. Ter- it smells like a piece of oh, shit yeah, farted. Yeah, the smell in here is just unbearable right that's now. That's why so. Nuck is fucking fuming, but. Hey. Yes. Speaking of fuming, we're gonna fucking fume out this this fucking studio right now because I'm dying. Yeah, fume again. And when and whenever we can come back in, we're gonna wrap up the show and talk some goofs. So stay tuned, guys. We're gonna be right after this. Be, be we're gonna be right after. I'll be this. back. Right after this, right here on the What's Real podcast. Step right up. Fridays at midnight here. We got all the finest women in the world. We got all the kind of craziest stuff you've ever seen. Hey, buddy, what about you? Why don't you come on into Fridays at midnight and see what the world beholds? Hey, what kind of wares do you have? What kind of place is this? This looks pretty unique. Tracy, you want to check this out? You like hot women? You like crazy people? What about murder? We got that too. Cartoon characters, stupidity, just about everything you guys want to see. Come on in. Just a small fee, if you will. Sorry, Tracy. I love all these things. I'm leaving you. You stay here. Here it is, sir. All right. Head on in. All right. Fridays at midnight, everybody. What's Real Podcast? Join us next week for one of the craziest movie segments in podcasting. Fridays at midnight. It's live. IWC Professional Wrestling. Saturday, March 25th at 7 p.m. at Mark's Court Time in Elizabeth, PA. This is 22. 22, celebrating 22 years of IWC, also live on IWCWrestling.com and Fight TV. Hey, everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Geeks Are Geeks. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So, the Jay, what do we got this week on the goof front? Uh, take it in. Hey, Ed, we're getting there. Here as we record March 22nd, it is officially spring 2023. So, it's still pretty cold here in the Northeast and in the pit specifically, but hopefully we're on the upswing of some nice weather. Hey, Ed, because I know I can speak for you as well. We could really use that. Absolutely. Please. But things are getting beautiful. Uh, look, the uh, f- some flamingos are back. That's always good when the, the wildlife starts reappearing here down by the What's Real Studios at our lagoon. Uh, so, you know, some beautiful pink flamingos. And beyond them is the beautiful, majestic waterfall of goose, which has not stopped flowing since 2020 and beyond. Hey, Ed. Thank beautiful God. area, though. Thank hmm. God. Uh, up first, you can stay in a, a rectum-shaped hotel for only 190 a night. Hey, Ed. That's shitty. The Anus Hotel located <laughs> in Belgium hosts over 20,000 visitors each year. What a bunch of assholes. And that's like, you know, go to the, the comments. A good place to say if you're just passing through, I'm going to pull up dressed as a big gerbil. I bet this, it smells like roses. This whole story stinks. <laughs> <laughs> As a former nurse, all I can think is the need for a giant rectal thermometer. Is this what you get when asking a retired proctologist to design your hotel? The local gynecologist must have something into wings for local competition. This, well, this whole bad one. This whole generation's obsessed with eating ass, so <laughs> yeah. it, it's probably fucking successful. Yeah, we could throw that one out there. I was telling you, shout out to my sister, my sister Jenna, <laughs> sent in a in a group text. 
she sent us a thing that said uh, it was from PETA. There's a pretty good chance that you're you've all eaten foods made from animal rectums recently. And the tactical Dalai Lama responded, my entire generation is proud of eating ass. Y'all need new PR reps. <laughs> and we were dying. That, that was a good one. But yeah, there, this is this is all true. It's an ac- actual rectum shaped hotel in Belgium, 190 a night. And uh, you could see those pictures for yourselves online. It looks like a big butthole, as you would expect. Hey, yeah. Dude, I'm surprised it's so cheap to stay there because I would have thought you'd have to pay out the ass. um we referenced him him earlier so that's full circle and flow of the show as we call it where former wwe wrestler and i guess he was uh like a talking head brad maddox uh he says his adult film addiction made him lose focus and that's what ruined his wwe career yeah it kind of ties into the page documentary that we watched earlier. yeah had had nothing at all to do with brad maddox wink wink he's opening up about his adult film uh as well as promiscuous act activity addiction, Dude. which made him lose focus. <laughs> I don't know why, but I re- I remember when he got fucked up and basically fired because of the house show. He got on a mic and called somebody a prick. Yeah, he was <laughs> fired by WWE for insulting the crowd during a dark match in Indianapolis in 2015. You guys are pricks. He gets backstage. Like, you're fucking fired. It's like, that wasn't even on TV. Like, I don't care. Neither are you. You're fired. Yeah. He was a victim of losing his path as he acknowledged his struggles with pornography addiction and the subsequent development of a sex addiction. Um, But this was not new news and had not been leaked. It had been leaked some time ago. Dude, okay, this is the question. Then why do we still have careers? Because I'm pretty sure I could use that fucking excuse too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Jesus. We just just know how to, you know, get through the waters. tame, Tame the beast, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Dude, this was this was crazy. We pop in some cool science stuff on here. This is a new ultra fast microwave to radio, an MIR. Mm-hmm. It's a cloak being developed, and basically, it's invisibility cloaks that are just not just uh, possible, but are becoming reality. Yeah, it's nanotechnology. I'm sure this is gonna go well. Yeah, don't let me I mean, be invisible. Fuck. Can you forget? Can about you believe it. that? I hope it's true. Fuck it. At this point, that's well. What's the first thing you would do with an invisibility invis- cloak? I, I don't even know because yeah, we're, we're too old to be like go in the women's locker room at LA Fitness. Yeah, it's a dude. You throw me power like that, and God knows what I'm gonna do with it. So I'm complaining about other people. Meanwhile, I'll be like, I'm probably gonna go. Just t- I don't even actually. I I'm not gonna say it on the show because if it happens, I'm not gonna be. Like, you said that you do this two years ago on a podcast, and it's like yeah, that's. Yeah, that's a so, good call. Something hey, yeah, good that's probably extremely illegal that involves money. Dude, so we, we talked about this in the past, and Ice-T commented on it with like a funny-ass Ice-T quip. I'm pretty sure you saw it. It's a big viral picture. It's a human-sized bat. And you get these pictures online all the time, but this article confirms this human-sized bat, it's not actually fake. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah, this comes from the Philippines. Of course, uh, it's, it does. it's a bat the size of a human, and uh, that's what <laughs> it's pretty damn terrifying. No joke, good call. <laughs> that's what the article says. There you go. Uh, you know, you wouldn't certainly wouldn't want to spot the thing in a darkened alley. Uh, but yeah, if you look up the uh, pictures online, it, it's about a five foot tall bat hanging upside down in the Philippines. Yeah, that's you'd literally encounter that thing in an alleyway and be like, "Fucking vampires are real!" <laughs> like, just yeah. run away. It, it's actually. A unit of a bat 
It's a, a creature known as a giant golden crowned flying fox. You couldn't just call it a big ass bat, could you, science? Yeah, so Alex Joestar said, remember when I told you all about the Philippines having human-sized bats? Yeah, this is what I was talking about. Whenever he said that, everybody's like, no, we don't remember saying that at all. Well, I love how the fact that they say it certainly is one of the world's largest bats. Like this like, motherfucker is not the world's largest bat. Like that's yeah, the story. Jesus like, no, Christ. There's, there's 14 foot bats in Madagascar. Actually, they're fucking, yeah. they eat children. You didn't As know always that. The rain, like there's 20 foot ones in the rainforest. It, Mother nature sucks. This shows a constant reminder of that every week. Yeah, I, I pulled up the. Uh, th- this has just popped up. I had to send it to myself. I'll, I'll put up the volume. Hey Ed, let's see if you. I can't hear it. Of course, I can't, can't hear it. No, I can't hear you either. <laughs> This is going smack. This is going smashingly. It was the intro to the old HBO opening. Oh, okay, I got you. Yes, <laughs> I didn't hear Just, that at all. Yeah, that's funny. I was trying to do something different, and it backfired. Sometimes that happens, peeps, in creative endeavors. But the Jay's not scared to take some risks, especially here in the world of what's real. That's what we do. Um, this this one had me crying. A stolen camera continues transmitting from the burglar's home naturally the AK, yeah the goofs are goofs where we like to talk about shit like rectums and weird animals and stupid criminals and yeah so this fits perfectly that sounds about right and dude it is hilarious the dude's drinking an ice house pounder <laughs> <laughs> of course he is uh, burglars burglars may have gotten more than they bargained for when they targeted a home in wisconsin last week the two men snatched thousands of dollars worth of tools from a house in Milwaukee. They apparently also unwittingly grabbed a security camera that continued to transmit from their kitchen table. It, it captured, captured the moment the two thieves early last Monday stole the camera along with tools from the home and a real estate broker saw the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking dumbass. People, yeah. So, you know, they're, they're looking at a decent uh, prison sentence. Congratulations. Hope you enjoyed your ice house pounder. <laughs> yeah. Dumbass. Oh my God. He should, he, should be, he should get brought up on charges for drinking that shit. Yeah. Ugh. Oh God. Um, yeah, this one was crazy. Customers, uh, customs officers at the Detroit Metropolitan Airport made an unusual and potentially dangerous discovery in passengers' luggage. They confiscated six illegal giant African snails. What the fuck? You can't even bring your giant African snails on a plane anymore? Well, now everybody's uh, really upset because it looks like we might be looking in 2023 here at mad snail disease. <laughs> Tell me about thing. it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> like, this is what happens when people put weird giant African snails in their rectum and, then, you know, they fart out poisonous gases that kill people. Yeah. It's like... They- like, I love the planet. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> I sent you this one because it's one you have to watch. Uh, a grandson spotted an alligator in the water when grandpa was about to get baptized. <laughs> and he and he just starts running out. He's like, he's like what is that? Let's see here. 
yeah, fast forward a bit because it's towards the end where it's worth saying. But uh, if anybody's interested, it's on at Shannon Sharp E with three E's at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but Dude, I, the, I love how the priest just yeah, left them in the, there. Yeah, he's, he was fucking ghost, man. <laughs> yeah, for those listening, a, a guy gets to be baptized. His grandson yells that an alligator's coming in the like lake area they're in. And the priest just throws the dude and runs out. <laughs> It, dude, it's funny too. Thanks, like, Father. All, everything pops off and the lady's like, look out, it's right over there. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, hey Ed, I'm sure you heard this big news story, but it had me dying, as we say. As now Las Vegas Raider quarterback Jimmy Garofalo was offered free sex for life deal from the Las Vegas brothel workers. And naturally, that's why he went to be the, the he's like his agent's like, look, we can get $13 million more from San Francisco, but when you figure in the whores, it pays for itself. Raiders' career might start off with a bang. Hey, y'all. Ta-da. That, that is, if he accepts a once-in-a-lifetime author from two Nevada brothel workers who tell TMZ Sports they want to hook him up with free sex forever, the two lovely ladies are Caitlin Bell and Addis, Alice Little of the famous Chicken Ranch. And they tell us they're really excited. The heartthrob is moving to their neck of the woods after inking a three-year deal with the Raiders last week. The licensed workers want to show Jimmy G just how grateful they are now that he's moving from the Bay to Vegas with a free-for-life sex package. It's stupid, though. He doesn't need it anyway because fucking he's a former Patriots quarterback, so he's probably friends with Robert Kraft. Yeah, well, exactly. Connoisseurs of the rubbing tugs of the American South. Yeah, I mean, if he goes through the offer, though, Had he's in good hands. Bell has been featured in several adult videos and was nominated for Best Sex Scene hmm? in the 2023 <laughs> X-Biz Awards. And, uh, she somehow has more awards than Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, Little is a sex worker advocate and intimacy coach. So, you know, you could learn some inti- intimacy lessons while he's getting... Sucked, fucked, slid, ridden, and glidden. <laughs> um, and, th- and intercepted and cut. <laughs> yeah. And, and his knee broken in week three. It's giving but, one uh, of those things, like if his career goes down the tubes, like people are like, I wonder what happened to, to Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like, oh, he lives at the Bunny Ranch out in Reno. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they say the offer seems to be right up his alley. After all, he famously went on a date with adult film actress Kiera Maya back in the day, so... And did you see where big, it says big that? offer there? As he also got all up in her alley. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they don't call it Sin City for nothing. Hey, Ed, and we don't call this segment Goofs are Goofs for nothing. Yeah, that's true. We don't. There's a reason for it. So uh, I guess that's it this week. Uh, we had a very Thank God. confusing week because, um, you know, we're, we're currently dying as everybody is. Um, but thank you guys for listening. This is episode 156. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave a five-star review. Of course, you can listen each and every week on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and ChurchillPictures.com. But before I get out of here, hear the Jay revving it up, and also send us an email, what'srollpod at gmail.com. You won't know. Jay, take it away. Revving it up like I'm going to create the first ever rectum hotel on the United States soil here in Pittsburgh. Hey, get ready in 2025. Rectum damn near killed him. Exactly. That's my tagline. But love the show. 
Always shout out our great producer, the wizard behind the boards and the blood flow and flesh, Cam. Thanks for what you do, Cam, and that consistent, constant weekly 16K sound that makes up the dub our question mark, the What's Real podcast. Hey, you know, another fun time in our world, brother. Enjoy the journey as always. It was a great week, and I'm looking forward to next week, man. We got some specials coming, still doing the movies, all kinds of stuff going on in our world, and I love it. As I say, leading the charge on my horse. Uh, it has a new name this week. This week, it's Balooks. My horse, Balooks. <laughs> stay safe. Stay healthy. Love y'all. You're here with the J next week. So that's about it for us this week here on episode 156 of the What's Real podcast. Of course, shout out to our, as they say in France, our producier, Cam. Uh, and as they also say in, in France, nobody beats the whiz. So... And that's nobody beats the whiz. So I'm just going to translate that for you. To the J, clang, motherfucking clang. Clang. Still tag team championships of the podcasting universe, three years running and further. So pretty good, man. Appreciate you doing the show, brother. Glad to do it each and every week. Don't forget to join us next week for episode 157 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy, or don't. And listen to us next week right here on the What's Real Podcast. Swears.